The Lord be with you. And also with you. Bless the Lord who forgives all our sins. God's mercy endures Friends, near and far, we welcome you to this Sunday service of ordered worship in the nave of Marsh Chapel, Boston University. The liturgy, homily, and music are offered in the praise of God for our gathered congregation here at 735 Commonwealth Avenue, for our New England radio audience through WBUR 90.9 FM, and for our internet listenership around the globe live at WBUR.org. We encourage your written or emailed responses, your prayerful and material support, your self-identification with your own form of ministry, and as the Spirit moves, your presence with us for worship. While we have breath, we shall remember and affirm the great goodness in the hymn of Charles Wesley, unite the pair so long disjoined, knowledge and vital piety, learning and holiness combined, and truth and love let all men see. In those who up to thee we give, thine, holy thine, to die and live. This is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
May we pray. Almighty God, you alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. Grant your people grace to live what you command and desire what you promise, that among the swift and varied changes of the world, our hearts may surely there be fixed where true joys are to be found. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. A cure for fear and anxiety is to identify the fear and name the anxiety as we do in our prayer of confession. I wonder if my nephew's military service has changed him in a forever way. Does my current lack of a job, given my age and background, forecast something longer and harder? How will I now cope with being alone, having been married and happily so for so long? I feel my body changing, aging, hurting. Will one day come when I cannot make it up the stairs? Has the cyber divide, which we know individually, also managed to bring a break in generational relations? Why am I so regularly down, sleepy, lethargic, depressed? Can I make my way in this church with all these PhDs around me? What will I do when I graduate? I feel our marriage changing as things do over time. Should I be worried? Our country seems different than it was 10 years ago. I worry that people are hardened to each other. Is it so? One cure for fear and anxiety is to identify and to name in prayer. We bow in silence for our prayer of confession as the choir sings our traditional Kyrie. Beloved, remember the word of scripture, let the day's own trouble be sufficient for the day. If we confess our sins, God who is faithful and just will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. 
The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. The word of the Lord.
Please join me in reading responsively from Psalm 51 with the Antiphon. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret part. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear your joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. And now please rise for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel lesson. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. John, chapter 12, verses 20 through 33. Glory, Glory to you, O Lord. Now, among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who is from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. Whoever serves me, the Father will honor. Now my soul is troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, 
It is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it was thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Today, the Gospel of John gives us the marrow of Gerard Manley Hopkins' hope. Thou mastering me, God-giver of breath and bread, world's strand, sway of the sea, Lord of living and dead. Thou hast bound bones and veins in me, fastened me flesh, and after it almost unmade what with dread thy doing, and dost thou touch me afresh? Over again I feel thy finger and find thee. We turn to the poetry of experience, scripture, and tradition and reason to help us for five Sundays concluding today we have journeyed together from activity to awareness, from motion to mindfulness, from sensation to reflection. In particular, we are trying faithfully to gain some ground, some purchase in the interplay of technology and faith, 
of culture and Christ. Over six years in Lent from this pulpit and nave, together we have tried to engage the best thought of those whose own expression of faith may differ from ours, those who affirm a scripture alone, sola scriptura, understanding of authority, though we do not hear. Those who lean more toward Paul and less toward the Gospels, though we do not hear. Those who privilege the death tradition of Jesus over the life tradition, the cross over the cradle, though we do not hear. In 2007, then, we grappled with John Calvin in Lent. In 2008, with St. Paul. In 2009, with derision and decision. In 2010, with atonement. In 2011, with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And this year, with Jacques Ellul, who coined the phrase, think globally, act locally. First, we look again to our own experience, trusting our own experience. This week, a radio listener sent me a cartoon. God is sitting in the cartoon on a cloud, holding a computer and talking to an angel, and says, I just answered a prayer and mistakenly hit reply all. Park your car, save your money, do not reply all. So you will have good influence on the environment, the economy, and the culture. In our own experience, that is, we are testing the spirit of truth, trying to move from fingertips to mindfulness, from sensation to reflection, right in the heart of the digital age. Partway from sensation to reflection, we test ourselves by practice this coming week. On Monday, you aver, wherever you are, be there. On Tuesday, before you check your Facebook, face your checkbook. On Wednesday, decide orders need borders, respond to voicemail in one day, email in three days, writing in one week. On Thursday, choose, make a Lenten exception, answer all your non-emergency email on Wednesday morning each week. On Friday, raise the bar step by step from sensation to reflection. Respond to Facebook and Twitter with text, to text with email, to email with voice, to voice with letter, to letter with the sublime personal visit. And on Saturday, remember, especially the youngest among us, electronic communication is international, irretrievable, immutable, eternal. So whatever you write, make sure you are happy to have it appear on the front page of the Boston Globe or chiseled on your tombstone. And come Sunday, of course, attend or listen to Marsh Chapel. We have come into a time when, across wide stretches of common life, it is thought that sending an electronic communication alone constitutes doing something lasting or fruitful. Yet, no one is born or dies on screen, literally or spiritually. No one connects with someone in a heart sense on screen. No one sees through the window of the soul on screen, nor feels a touch of physical love on screen, nor senses the breath and closeness of being human on screen. Most significantly, no one speaks on screen. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Language, your mother tongue, takes years to acquire, even at an elementary level. The use of language, your mother tongue, in the company of others, takes even longer to learn. You cannot learn in front of a screen how to hear. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, as the scripture affirms. How do you watch the mind and tongue play forward and backward with a thought aborning when there is no tongue to hear, no head to see, as the shifting and sifting occur? How do you learn the habits of deep listening when all you do is scan? How do you experience the delight of unexpected humor, the force of interruption, the concentration of heart to heart with an unforeseen argument? Honor your father and mother tongue that your days be long upon the earth. Second. With reverence, we listen to the Holy Scripture. Our Gospel is from John 12. In the Gospel of John, Jesus demarcates the limits of individualism during a wedding in Cana. Jesus pillories pride by night with Nicodemus. 
Jesus unwraps the touching self-presentations of hypocrisy in conversation at a well. Jesus heals a broken spirit. Jesus feeds the throng with two fish and five barley loaves. Jesus gives sight and insight, bifocal and stereoptic, to a man born blind. Jesus comes upon dead Lazarus and brings resurrection and life. He brings the introvert out of the closet of loneliness. He brings the literalist out of the closet of materialism. He brings the passionate out of the closet of guilt. He brings the dim-witted out of the closet of myopia. He brings the church out of the closet of religion. He brings the dead to life. Here the gospel affirms Jesus' coming crucifixion as his glorification, one of the most important and repeated emphases in the fourth gospel. The seed falls, dies, is buried, and wondrously comes forth with fruit. In our community, here at Boston University, not a day goes by that I do not rub shoulders with this very verse, this gospel. Those who teach the younger do so in a generative mode. They are willing to let a seed fall, to be planted and die, a lecture given but perhaps not appreciated, a suggestion made but not heeded, a great hope proffered but not embraced. To teach is to die hour by hour in the hope that a long time from now, decades from now, the seed will bear fruit. That takes faith. That takes a cruciform self-understanding. So you who learn and teach may hear John 12 today. But why are we hearing John today at all? Because we use the lectionary, a shared schedule of readings used by most Orthodox, Catholic, and Protestant churches. For five reasons, we shall continue to use the lectionary here. First, both the ecumenical consensus and the United Methodist History of Marsh Chapel encourage us to do so, particularly this choice and golden gift to present and future church unity is a treasure to be protected. Second, the readings provide a basis for coherent development of an hour-long service, 20 minutes of sermon, 20 of music, 20 of liturgy on a common basis. Third, Marsh Chapel provided some of the influence and early work on the lectionary itself, which history and labor we want to honor. Fourth, we preach to some 50,000 radio listeners per week, many of whom have already attended their own church or are about to, wherein the same lessons are read, and this gives us a vital connection to our virtual congregation. Fifth, it keeps thematic preachers like this one speaking to you today from only writing his or her favorite themes and texts like grace and love and avoiding less attractive themes like hell and high water. We intend to continue to utilize the common lectionary here. There are nonetheless serious problems with the lectionary use. Let us name five of these as well. First, and speaking as a non-lectionary preacher, the small bits of scripture make difficult larger preaching lenses. A sermon on the book of Jonah, for example, or a great theological topic like redemption, or as we are doing again this Lent, a series of sermons on a major theme, now faith and technology, which encompass more than four fragments of scripture. Second, the lectionary greatly aids those who already know their Bible, but confuses those who do not. If you know that Genesis is the first book in the Bible, part of the Pentateuch or the books of Moses, is the origin of thought on creation and covenant, and precedes all the other 65 biblical books, you have a way of hearing a snippet from Genesis 17 in a way that makes sense. But if you have no idea about Genesis, the passage is opaque. First, we have to do the arithmetic, the six portions of scripture, Old Testament, law, prophets, writings, New Testament, gospels, letters, apocalypses, the names of the books, the flow of the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation, before we can begin to do the algebra, comparing numbers to John, Psalm 107 to Psalm 100, and so on. The lectionary cannot readily, easily teach you the Bible. For that, you need to study one book at a time. So our study with Reverend Yoon following worship here, or study the whole Bible in a year. So the still excellent Methodist Disciple Bible Study, 
or read the Bible a passage a day from cover to cover. We need to add and subtract before we take on the quadratic equations. Third, there is more than one lectionary. Yes, the church's selection of readings and seasons is one, and we could say primary, but there are others. Every local congregation has its own annual lectionary, from annual meeting to Stewardship Sunday to Children's Day. For us here, this includes monthly luncheon, fellowship in September on Parents' Weekend, at Christmas in Hymnsing, that's today, by the way, at Easter breakfast on Patriots' Day, including and also various subgroup gatherings and Box Sunday twice a term. Also, every congregation has a denominational lectionary provided by the prevailing judicatory. So for Methodists, that includes annual conference, student Sunday, one great hour of sharing, Aldersgate Sunday. At Marsh Chapel, our judicatory is Boston University, so we observe matriculation, parents and alumni weekends, lessons and carols, Martin Luther King Sunday, this I believe, baccalaureate and commencement. Yet there is still another lectionary, not liturgical calendar, nor local calendar, nor denominational calendar, but national calendar. And like it or not, the 4th of July has symbolic and liturgical meaning, as to some degree do Thanksgiving, Mother's Day, and Groundhog Day. Think last year of 9-11. It needed attention. Consequently, the scriptural lectionary is in creative tension with these other three. Fourth, it is usually difficult fully to interpret three or four lessons in one 22-minute sermon. So some are either lightly or under-interpreted, so Jeremiah today. This can leave people puzzled, leaving church tangled up with a dark psalm or an apocalyptic prediction or a gender-unfriendly proverb or the pronunciation of Methuselah. If you do not teach people, for instance, that the Gospel of John includes an, an ancient form of anti-Semitism abhorrent to any real Christianity, so well recounted in last evening's program for the brilliant St. John Passion, by the way, they can leave church or the hearing of the sermon mistaken about the gospel. One great failure of our pulpits in our time is the failure of our preachers regularly and creatively to root our sermons in the known history, the understood sociology, and the particular theology of each passage. But to do so takes sermonic time, and much more time, in sermonic development. Fifth and last, as my old Navy chaplain assistant minister used to say, Bob, how can somebody in Nashville know what passage my congregation most needs to hear this week? The lectionary makes lazy preachers who do not regularly sift and scour the whole scripture. So we continue aware, critically aware. Third, we turn to our own tradition. Our Lenten interlocutor this year similar in choice to those over the five previous years, has been Jacques Ellul, whose writing on technology and theology foreshadowed a generation ago some of our current experience. By thinking globally in this overused phrase which has become his grave marker, Ellul meant that we should think subspecie aeternitatis, think eternally, if you will. Hence for him the importance of scripture and his favorite interpreter, Karl Barth. By acting locally, Elul meant for us to live as salt and light and sheep, as those who practice our faith and the transcendence, the promise, and the new creation we so receive. Here is the last and briefest of the Lenten litanies offered this season to evoke Elul's thought. Hear it as you would a psalm or an aria. Listen with the ear as well as the mind, he wrote. In our time, intelligence is set free from dogmas, but has become a slave to means. In my own life, I confronted the demands of Marx and the demands of the Bible and put them together. Marx spoke to the economic situation, yes, but he did not have the answers to the great matters, life, death, love. I set up a parallel camping university and focused my volunteer work on delinquent youth and the environment. A person needs to become someone who can use the technologies and at the same time not be used by, assimilated by, or subordinated to them. 
prepared to live in technology and at the same time against technology, developed a critical awareness of the modern world. And the Christian is one who brings as much free play as possible into the parts of society that are linked to one another. Two strong teachers from my own past embody this same dialectic. Lloyd Easton at Ohio Wesleyan, a BU PhD and fifth generation personalist philosopher, an expert on the writings of the young Marx on society and culture, so his book of that title. And Christopher Morse of Union Theological Seminary, a great student of both Calvin and Bart, who taught them in a place and time when they were all but forgotten in the heyday of Cohn, Gutierrez, Harrison, Koyama, and liberation theology in general. Fourth, we set our reflective reason to work. On a personal level, something triggered for me one night last week in the grace of table fellowship in this community. That is the emergence in a welcoming home over a nice meal in a meaningful setting of a combination of fellowship, education, and service in a natural, organic way, not to say without preparation, planning, and work, is an apocalypse of what the grace to which the church bears witness is all about. There was something real and really afoot, and for that I was truly thankful. In every dimension, this radiant table fellowship militated against impersonal communication. It is the communion the companionship of the faith for which we hunger. So let us be mindful. Let us reason together. Let us be aware. Hit and run electronic communication produces a mindset that tends to emphasize the short run. Mayor Bloomberg in New York City said as much this week. Aerial bombardment forms of electronic communication tend to draw the mind to the only, the very present. Click and stick rejoinders used repeatedly through the day from screen to screen, voiceless and voluminous, can produce a mind or absence of mind that then can influence ranges of behavior beyond the technical. That is, our forms of electronic interaction can have a coarsening effect on our culture. Such communication, as silent as deadly, can enfeeble our relations, make us unprepared and ill-practiced in the arts, in the tongue, in the language, so in the voice of acquaintance, friendship, and love. We are so sensationally habituated to distanced, cold, hard, electronic, visual, voiceless intercourse that our human and even most intimately human intercourse, ourselves ostensibly at our warmest and best, becomes itself distanced, cold, hard, electronic, visual, and voiceless. Where is the voice of the Song of Solomon in our homes and residences and dwellings? Or even yet the voices of Juliet and Romeo? You may not want to hear this or trust it unless I send it by email, but it is still the case. Be careful. Our technology is swamping and drowning our theology. And it is the youngest, the most nubile, those moving from nubility to nobility, and so most innocently vulnerable among us, who are most harmed. We at Marsh Chapel have both an avuncular and pastoral role to play in teaching and helping by how we live and by what we say. As we here attempt to model dimensions of health and safety across our community and campus, particularly in a time fraught with difficulty in areas of sexuality and violence, let us persevere in three discrete directions. Elul would identify them as salt, light, and sheep. First, 
Let us keep the feast and be present on Sunday to witness to faith and to be nourished together by the salt that brings savor. Your bodily presence in worship helps somebody else. Second, let us walk in the light, come to the light, walk in the light by listening for God's word for the good and naming and claiming such a word. Third, let us make of this sacred space a safe place, yes, sacred space, safe place, as those who have a shepherd who knows and loves his sheep. Experience, scripture, tradition, reason. This Lent you have taken a road less traveled, a path from sensation to reflection. May the mindfulness of Lent prepare you for the mystery of Easter. We turn to the poets to help us, John Henry Newman. Let us preach you without preaching, not by words but by our example, by the catching force, the sympathetic, sympathetic influence of what we do, the evident fullness of the love our hearts bear to you. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Amen. We now come to the time in our service when we turn our hearts and minds to prayer and lift up our lives and ourselves to God. Please assume an attitude and posture of prayer by either remaining seating, standing, kneeling, or coming to the communion rail as we sing together a call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord. Gracious God, we turn our thoughts to you this morning. Uplift our consciousness that we may more fully see your presence with us in our lives, our work, and our love. In the places and moments we feel most vulnerable, let us feel your tender assurance. When violence, abuse, and hatred shake the security of our being, let us abide under the guarding shadow of your wing. When want and hunger make us weak, help us to know the strength of your abundance. Expand our prayers also, O God, to embrace our neighbors. Help us to see those who are too often unseen. Be with those who suffer, that wholeness may be theirs once more. May your infinite wisdom guide the leaders of our communities and nations, and may our public discourse and debate reflect the civility and respect due all members of your family. And in this humble unity, let us now pray together as Christ Jesus taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, 
Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. peace of the Lord be always with you. We greet you once again here in the nave of Marsh Chapel and would encourage you to put your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. We would note that the purple forms found in your bulletins to order Easter lilies are due next Sunday, April 1st, Palm Sunday, so that we can have them in place for Easter. We would note also that we do have two services, uh, on, actually three services on Sunday Easter morning. 7.30 a.m. is our sunrise service out on the BU Beach, and then here in the nave at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock in the morning. We hope that you will join us for one of those three worship opportunities on April 8th, Easter Sunday morning. We would note this morning uh, two, uh, two notes from our choir. We give thanks this morning for Mr. Joshua Rohde for his leading of the prelude this morning uh, from Box Cello Suite Number 3. We would also uh, extend our gratitude to Mr. Aram Demergian as he leads the choir in singing this morning. We offer especially this morning congratulations to Aram, who has served for the past three years as music program administrator here at Marsh Chapel, as he has been uh, appointed the assistant conductor of the Kansas City Symphony Orchestra for the 2012-2013 season, and uh, offer his congratulations on behalf of all of us here at Marsh Chapel. As always, we hope you will join us following the service downstairs for coffee hour, and we would encourage you to keep an eye to the chapel website, bu.edu chapel, for all of our upcoming services and activities, along with the opportunity for online giving. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
Heavenly Father, Lord of rich and poor alike, today we plant but a seed. Help it to grow tall and strong and mighty, to produce fruit ripe, sweet, and pleasing to you. May it be food for the health of your kingdom. Amen. grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with each one of us now and forever. Amen. <laughs> 